Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mulestein, and I'm thrilled to have back with me a uh, regular uh, co-host or guest or whatever we'd like to call him, great friend, uh, Dr. Phil Allred, uh, who you've all heard before. Welcome, Phil. Always good to be with you, Kerry, and everyone. Uh, thank you. All right. Uh, Let's let's get a couple of announcements out of the way. So we have a few things we want to make you aware of. We're just trying to get as much out there to help people with their study of the Book of Mormon as possible. So we've been posting some things on uh, Enlightened Edge EDU. So it's patreon.com slash Enlightened Edge EDU, where I've got a video that I think I mentioned last time, a pretty long masterclass on uh, with pictures and so on about uh, Lehi and Nephi and what it's like in Jerusalem in their day and leaving Jerusalem. I also have an article posted there about the covenant uh, in uh, Jerusalem or uh, the covenant that's uh, made with the house of Israel and comparing it to how that's reestablished with the people as they, they leave uh, Jerusalem with Nephi and his people and the book of Mormon. Uh, We've got a workshop that we did uh, and the book of Mormon workshop uh, with, um, where we went over Lehi's vision and uh, we're making that available. If it's not up today, it will be in the next day or two. We're, we're trying to get that up as quickly as we can. Uh, so all sorts of resources available for you there. We're also asking you to give us some feedback and some insights and some meetings with some uh, folks uh, up uh, in the church uh, talking about what they'd like to have from uh, me as a podcaster uh, they suggested that they'd really love for us to provide a platform for you to share things you're learning, insights you're having. And uh, so we'd like for you to do that. And if, you know, if you can do that, maybe on Spotify, I think they have that platform. Certainly on YouTube, they have that platform. They don't on uh, Apple podcast and some of the other podcasts. So if you would be willing to share your your insights, and we hope you will, uh, you can do that if if you, you could get on the YouTube channel, even if you listen to it on uh, Apple or some other format, you could get on uh, the Scriptures Are Real on YouTube and leave comments for the particular episode, or you could email us at thescripturesareal at gmail.com. That's thescripturesareal at gmail.com, and we'll put all these things in the, the uh, show notes, by the way. Or there is a feature where even if you don't uh, subscribe to that uh, that page that we're creating with all the handouts and the articles and lectures, we've got mental health lectures, all sorts of great stuff on there, uh, interfaith lectures anyway. Um, and we're going to have more and more and more there. But even if you don't subscribe, you can leave some comments there. And we'd like you to do that. Uh, leave the insights as has been suggested. So you can go again to patreon.com. So that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Enlighten Edge EDU and leave us some comments about your insights, things you've been gaining as you've read the scriptures or insights you gained as you listened, uh, insights you gained as you put the two together, because we're hoping that this is uh, getting you back into the scriptures. And then as you read after having listened, maybe you get an insight or you can ask questions in any of those uh, forums and uh, hopefully we'll get around to being able to answer some questions as well. So Please give us that feedback and please go see uh, this great material that we're making available for you. And we hope all of this enhances your scripture study and allows you to draw closer to Christ. All right. Well, for our audience who, uh, if you haven't heard Phil before, you should go back. We've got him on several episodes, uh, Hebrews, uh, Genesis, I mean, all over the place. So, uh, and, and always a fan favorite. People love listening to Phil. So we'll encourage you to go back and listen to those Uh 
Dr. Allred teaches at BYU-Idaho and BYU and Provo right now and uh, for several years uh, and uh, did his PhD at Notre Dame and and didn't quite become a Catholic. Um, but uh, And we've taught in Jerusalem Center together. Uh, he is just uh, great in every single way. Uh, I love working with Phil. So um, let's uh, – we're just going to jump in. Uh, and we're, uh, uh, this is not our first time saying this, but I'm going to say it for the first several weeks that, uh, we've always kind of done this, but even more on the book of Mormon, we're going to focus on, uh, not trying to cover everything, but just doing deep dives on the things that we do want to cover. So with that in mind, uh, what, where would you like to take us, Phil? What, what would you like to talk about? Okay. So I want to deal with what we might call a hard saying. Um, and then work with that hard saying so that we understand that it's not nearly as hard as it may be sound, and it's also way harder than it may sound. Um, <laughs> Just and, what we want. That, right? You know, so so it's kind of like President Harold B. Lee used to say, he says, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ afflicts the comforted and comforts the afflicted. Yeah. Um, and so to hopefully in this moment, we can take on a... a, a a pretty strong verse and then contextualize it and give the proper hope and also the proper aspiration that should come as we grapple with these very true, but often hard sayings of Jesus and his prophets. So uh, with that, let's just jump into first Nephi 10 verse five and six, which begins lovely enough, uh, but then kind of, goes south for a second as we grapple with it. So I just want to read verses 5 and 6 for a moment. This is First Nephi 10. And he also spake concerning the prophets. And maybe and, if it's uh, all right, let me just uh, kind of give us like background setting for this, just to give yes. the context, right? This is uh, First Nephi 8 is uh, where we've heard Lehi talk about his vision. And then we get a little kind of almost interruption in nine about why Nephi's doing what he's doing and so on. And then we come back in 10 and Nephi, I, I feel like uh, my take is Nephi's just saying, okay, there was a lot in that vision and I'm going to write more about it when I talk about me seeing it. So let me give a summary of a bunch of the stuff my father saw. And that's kind of where we're at in, in these verses, I would say. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. Totally, totally. Great, great point there. I'm going to back up to those uh, briefly as well. Oh, so sorry. perfect intro. No, no, exactly right. And so he, speaking of his father Lehi, spake concerning the prophets, how great a number had testified of these things since concerning this Messiah, mm. of whom he had spoken, or this Redeemer of the world. Now, the hard verse. That's lovely. This Messiah, this, this Redeemer, this all sounds great. But in verse 6, wherefore... All mankind were in a lost and in a fallen state, and ever would be, save they should rely on this Redeemer. And so uh, I say it's a hard saying on one hand, because uh, frankly, I don't think anyone likes hearing that they're lost or they're <laughs> fallen or they're or any way we might put it today, the, the words uh, broken or I need to be fixed or something like this can, can be uh, often offensive and can be, uh, you know, hit over the head at times from those who don't understand our circumstances and it can be very painful. And if we're not careful, we, we can do that to others as we uh, visit, et cetera. And so I wanted to take on this first because it's just stark. It's like, 
everyone, there's, there's no exception. Everyone is in a lost and in a fallen state. And there's no way out of it unless you go through Jesus. And so I, I thought it would be kind of interesting to kind of take this on because in our culture today, uh, I think uh, in many ways we've we've made improvements over past generations in which we are very sensitive, very empathetic, very interested in others' journeys and in being inclusive and recognizing the beauty in diversity, et cetera. And these are, I think, again, fine improvements on many uh, perhaps past generations approaches to difference, et cetera. Uh, at the same time, I can see that the adversary is not content to let us climb out of past generational issues, perhaps, without presenting further snares and gins and, you know, yeah. traps. And yeah, so he likes to take anything good we're doing and try and twist it so that it becomes bad or problematic. Right. Perverting the, the way of the Lord. Right. And so yeah. uh, in this case, uh, I think I have seen with many students and family and friends and my and temptations within myself to take this uh, sensitivity and this kindness to be careful in how we couch everybody's uh, struggle and journey. And even the word struggle can be offensive to some that. Uh, right. Uh, and to say, well, okay, what does the gospel of Jesus Christ teach us about how to navigate that? Not only verbally and conceptually, but how do we navigate it as disciples of Jesus Christ and eventually uh, do what it's supposed to do in us, right? The design of the plan. And so for that, I thought it'd be cool if we just stepped backwards for a moment into the book for a few quick little contextual helps as we kind of figure out what do we do with this lost and fallen reality and how do we get to Jesus so that as we rely on him, he takes care of that with us and for us. Does that sounds make sense? Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And maybe to even uh, uh, round that out a little bit, uh, just for fun. Uh, and and I, it, this was not in conjunction with preparing for this podcast was something else I was doing about a week and a half ago. Um, I thought, man, I want to, I want to, we, we get this phrase so often in the, the Book of Mormon, lost and fallen and, and lost and lost and lost. And so I thought, I'm going to explore how is that word used in the Old Testament? Because at least Lehi here, I mean, he's really coming out of an Old Testament world. Whatever he's saying here is coming from an Old Testament context, right? So I, I explored that word, and the word really means like to be destroyed, like to 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 be so lost as to, the words avad, it comes from, Almost like Avada Kedavra now that I think about it. But anyway, um, <laughs> Avad, um, it's uh, it, it lost so that it will be like no longer exist. That's really the connotation of it. And and I think that's irretrievably. Probably yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it, it's used for things that can be lost, like uh, Saul's father's asses were lost. Right. And someone was lost and they didn't know how to get back. But it all comes back from that word, which really does suggest that there's destruction as part of this, right? If, if this doesn't get fixed, that's the end of, of what happens here. If you if someone doesn't find you or if you don't find your way out or whatever, destruction is where this eventuates. And I think that's ex that's exactly, to, to have the root word of the, the loss be destroyed really helps us understand what Lehi is saying when he says we're in a lost and a fallen state. It's not just that we have no idea where we are. It's as in you're a lost cause kind of a thing. <laughs> If you don't rely on your redeemer, right, that, then destruction is what awaits you. So anyway, I thought that might be useful to to think of as we go through this. 
Oh, that's so great because there, that establishes the gravitas, right? Yeah. And and at the end of the day, at the end of our few minutes together, um, I hope that what we've done is recognize that the fall, right, is real, right? The fall being real. Yeah. Uh, then we can avoid mistakes that would, without recognizing the the reality of the fall, would then also cause us to miss the reality of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. We, when we minimize it, uh, we also minimize in our need for Christ. And so, yeah. On. And that, that often can go uh, get lost in conversations, especially in sensitive circumstances. And we can forget uh, yeah. in our desire to right to be soft and, and kind, et cetera. We can forget the fact that, um, it is only through Jesus that this lost reality gets fixed. So in that regard, uh, I, I thought it might be helpful to just step back and say, okay, just a couple quick reminders that at the end of chapter one, Nephi kind of sets up this, this statement about the tender mercies of the Lord being upon those that have faith in him because they then receive power to deliverance. Okay. And I think Dr. Reynolds is going to be working with this in a future episode. So I hope everybody looks for that. Uh, oh, no, published... and, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Well, I think it's the same week, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Oh, is that right? Okay, cool. So, so uh, back in a, in a 1979, 1980 BYU studies, he did a whole thing on the thesis of, of Nephi and it's su super cool. And I've always just kind of appreciated uh, when he pointed that out to me and just seeing how faith under the power of deliverance, almost this FPD principle, right? becomes this kind of recurring theme throughout the record, not just Nephi's book, though it's impressively there as Dr. Reynolds will, will show, but, uh, and has shown, but also throughout the entire record, you're just going to see example after example of those that exercise their faith in Christ, then in return, receive his power. And with that power, they now are delivered either approximately or ultimately, or both uh, truly uh, from whatever the circumstances they're in. And this would be then the big macro view of the fall, our fallen lost state is that if we rely on Jesus Christ, he gives us the power then to navigate that and to be delivered eventually. So we set that up at the end of chapter one. Then the next thing that happens in chapter two, super interesting, is that Nephi tells us about the situation of Laman and Lemuel, their state of belief or lack thereof, and how they were murmuring and struggling with this move. And, and I think we can all understand the challenge of, you know, your dad gets a new job or your mom has a new situation and you suddenly you're just at the mercy and you got a whole new high school or whatever you're doing, you know, and, and my, my brother certainly felt that as I was uh, a child of a, of a military family and I was born overseas and a couple of my brothers were born overseas and, and they always looked uh, a little enviously at me that I got to have a school from grade school all the way up through high school in the same town. And of course, I looked enviously at them and went, well, you guys got to do all these cool things in these cool places. And, you know, it's funny how yeah. that works. Yeah. But the, the point here is that Nephi says Laman and Lemuel struggled because in verse 12 of chapter two, they murmured against their father. They did murmur because they knew not the dealings of that God that had created them. Yeah. And this super interesting fact of like our created state 
what God, the telos of his creation for us, telos being that kind of objective, the goal, right? The, yeah. the, the reason you did a thing. So what was the reason of the creation? They didn't seem to understand it. And so Nephi kind of says this, and it even leads his brothers to be murderous, right? But then he explains in verse 16 why he was different, what happened. And it's beautiful because he just says, I was very young in verse 16. This is first Nephi 2, 16. I was very young. I always love how he says, but but I was large in stature. I was young, but I was a, I was buff. I was a big you know, yeah yeah. It's such a funny. Uh, as a small guy, well, I always I, said that's irrelevant. Let's strike that from the record. Yeah yeah right. For but us, it's not irrelevant. It means he can he can yeah he can tackle Zoram. I guess that's why it's relevant. Yeah. Well, okay, there we go. Right on. Um. So, but he says I wanted. I had great desires to know the mysteries of God, and so he says I did cry unto the Lord, and behold. He did visit me and did soften my heart. What a phrase, what a, what a thing to say. I don't know that Nephi had a hard heart. I don't know. He doesn't say, but he clearly didn't have a soft heart before this mm. because God softened his heart. So, you know, worst case scenario, he had hard hearted too, or he's just simply interested, but he doesn't know. You know yeah. what I mean? He's, he's willing, but he doesn't have his own witness. He doesn't have his own testimony, et cetera. And so it says, uh, because he visited me and softened my heart, I did believe, right? And so, again, I think it's super interesting that even in this, we see his reliance on the Lord. It wasn't that he believed. It was he sought, he tried, he did the faith thing, which you don't know. And then he received some response and then believed that, right? But again, the Lord leads out on all of this, right? He won't He won't abrogate our agency, but... He requires that choice on our part, or else he becomes unjust. It's, yeah. it's super interesting how his nature works. And so this then, he says, this is why I didn't rebel like my brothers. And uh, and so we set this idea up with Nephi saying, okay, if you have faith, you'll receive power, you'll be delivered. That could be deliverance from an army, it could be deliverance from prison, it could be deliverance from ignorance and not knowing, right? In his case, that was the first thing that he needed to deliverance from is is my dad really a prophet is this stuff really inspired right right so he experiences that and in chapter two while his brothers continue to kind of spiral in this uh pride cycle if you will but he's ascending he's kind of doing an iterative slope up as he's working with the lord and this begins a series of spiritual experiences that nephi will say that he has throughout the record and it gets kind of cool because it starts in the kind of divine dialogic. It starts very simple. He just had a visitation in which his heart was so. But then in verses 19 forward in the rest of that chapter, he starts to get text. Like he starts to get revelation and he gets quotes from the Lord, like, like sentences and paragraphs. So it begins very small, but then it starts to grow into this uh, like conversation. Right. And yeah. so it gets really cool as he models this right any thoughts on that uh, well i think it's fantastic I, I, and i couldn't agree more that you see his growth uh as as he's becoming prophetic like his father and and i love what you said that he acknowledges that even his belief is a gift from god and i think so often i don't think of that like i like yeah i believe i'm pretty cool right um uh, you, you think it's 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 and there is a choice as you said on our part but i don't think we give enough credit to god for um changing us so that we can have faith changing us so that we can 
believe. We feel like the faith is all us, and it's not. It's a little bit us. It's mostly God. He is. He changes us and blesses us with that gift of faith or belief. It's so beautiful, isn't it? The, yeah. the grace of God is so beautiful. I, I would just quickly refer us to Philippians two, right, where the where where Paul says. In this verse 13, I, I believe he says that, that God both blesses us to will and to do. Yeah. Right. That will idea. Here's Nephi desiring those desires, likely prompted by the Lord, his, you know what I mean? And then as soon as he acts, he gets a response and then, you know, it gets really cool. So, so I love that uh, kind of setting Nephi up. He shows his own personal journey here, right? Because he, like his brothers, either didn't know or was rejecting of his dad and struggling. But this is his process by which he he begins to, to be able to handle it and navigate it and then own it ultimately. And this gets fun because of President Nelson, right? President Nelson's statements are, I'm just going to bring a few in here real quick. Here's, here's the uh, worldwide uh, devotional to young adults in, in May last year, 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would have been two, year, two years ago uh, for our Book of Mormon year. And he says, President Nelson says, the truth is that you must own your own conversion. No one else can do it for you. And he says, now may I invite you to consider a few questions? Do you want to feel peace about concerns that presently plague you? Do you want to know Jesus Christ better? Do you want to learn how his divine power can heal your wounds and weaknesses? Do you want to experience the sweet, soothing power of the atonement of Jesus Christ working in you? And then he says, seeking to answer these questions will require effort, much effort. I plead with you, President Nelson continues, to take charge of your own testimony. Work for it. Own it. Care for it. Nurture it so that it will grow. Feed it truth. And don't pollute it with false philosophies of unbelieving men and women and then wonder why your testimony is waning, right? So that, and then he just said this in lots of different areas, right? He, he then further explains, like, this is daily, earnest, humble prayer. This is in the words of the ancient and modern prophets, right? This is asking the Lord to teach you and, and he, to, to be able to hear him better. This is spending time in the temple, he says, and in family history work. And then he says this promise, as you make your testimony your highest priority, watch for miracles to happen in your life. And it's just, oh, and it's just the constant refrain of his own, your testimony, work for it, do the spiritual work. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. I love that. I love that with Nephi. He, he does that. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I hope we can take this, you know, that charge and, and what you've been teaching us here at the beginning of the book of Mormon seriously and say, you know what, as we watch Nephi go on this journey, I'm going on this journey too, wherever I am, whether I'm starting out as Laman and Lemuel or whether I'm starting out, uh, closer to where Nephi is, at least by the end of chapter two, wherever we are, um, let's go on this journey with him. Let's believe. Let's take charge of our testimony. Let's uh, do, put in the spiritual work through prayer, reading the Book of Mormon, listening to the prophets, and and go from, as you said, the the, the ideas coming to being in conversation with God. Yeah, yeah. Where we get that sweet, just kind of, then it's that sweet daily kind of the tongue of angels telling us all things what we should do, which yeah. is coming in Second Nephi thirty-two. Uh, so yeah, I love it, and I, and I just I agree. It doesn't matter where on the the path we are. 
there is a next iteration of success and ability and comfort and strength waiting for us as we engage in that process. So, so let's skip forward to chapter seven real quick. Again, coming we're coming back to, to chapter 10 and the hard verse about them falling and being lost, right? So, so Nephi, as you remember, they've returned and they've got the plates and they've gone through that remarkable experience. But then in chapter seven, they, they go back to get Ishmael and his family. And, you know, the eternal family for them is kind of on the line, you know, because uh, to our knowledge, uh, at least in the record, they don't, they have no one to marry when they get to the, wherever the Lord's taken them. And so you got, you got to bring, you got to bring the family with you uh, as they start to form that family on the road, literally. So as they do that, then of course, you remember there's a rebellion because the the brothers are in that spiral. They're not engaging in the process of of learning for themselves. They're not owning their own testimony and doing the spiritual work, and therefore they're struggling. They they don't get it. They do not see the dealings of not only God but their own dad and what's going on in their lives. And so you remember that they they sought to kill Nephi, and they actually tied him up, and they were going to leave him to be eaten by beasts in the in the wilderness. But verse seventeen is pretty cool if you remember the motif, the thesis. Verse 17 of chapter 7, came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, according to my faith, which is in thee, wilt thou deliver me from the hands of my brethren? Give me the strength. There's your power word, right? That isn't the, the same word as power, but there's your FPD, right? You know, he's, he's, he's faith and power and deliverance, and, you know, and their synonyms that I may burst these bands with the chime bound. Now, the fun thing is verse 18, of course, when he had said these words, the bands were loosed from off his hands and feet. I always thought that was kind of funny because I thought, well, he probably wanted to show his brothers that he's buff and that he they can't do this to him. I don't know if he was thinking that or not. I would have thought that. <laughs> but what's fun is the record just says they were loosed. It yeah. wasn't a display of his own strength, at least as far as you can tell, yeah. you know, what I mean? until we see the video, you know, and, and get the, yeah. the, the celestial YouTube, you know, we won't know for sure. But but it it looks like it's literally the Lord saying, yeah, Nephi, let me show you and show you in a way, almost like Gideon's army, that that you didn't do this. I did this. And you needed to come to me so that it would happen. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't go He-Man on them, it would appear. Yeah, it's, it, I think it you're right. It, it is probably in the midst of that, a nice little reminder for Nephi. Yeah. Yeah. And and if not for Nephi, for me as yeah. the reader, for me to go, okay, in the weakness of my heart and the desire to be all strong and all this and overcome you know, all my enemies, et cetera, instead just let the Lord be the captain of the hosts. Let the, let the Lord be the deliverance. Let me be with him. Let him do his work. So, so then we come to this super interesting chapter that you mentioned at the, at the gate, at the, out the gate with Lehi's vision. And like you said, this chap, this chapter 10, verse six, hard saying of being fallen and all of us and all are lost is contextualized by Lehi's vision. And then it's bracketed by Lehi's vision. And then Nephi's, um, what we'd say, Lehi's dream and Nephi's vision of that similar things. And so what's in between is this reality. So I thought it would be interesting to spend a minute on the opening scenes of Lehi's experience, because I don't find often there are many discussions about following the man into yeah. the dark and dreary waste. 
Yeah. Right. And so it's not like no one talks about it. It's just, it's interesting. In fact, what, what turned me on to this probably as much as anything uh, is when I was a young undergraduate, uh, Bruce Jorgensen of the English department at BYU had written an article in a book called The Literature of Belief. It was one of those religious study centers collections from a symposium, I believe. And Bruce Jorgensen writes this, this little article called The Dark Way to the Tree. And uh, the title just said so much to me. It evoked so much. And so as I thought about it, right, I, I, I remembered that, yeah, that's right. It, you know, here we have in this very opening part of his experience, he says in verse five, this is, um, he says uh, in verse four, he says uh, he's worried about Laman and Lemuel as every parent is right about their children. And uh, especially those that display a kind of a spiraling, not owning your own, you know, uh, testimony, et cetera, experience. And he says, I, I, in verse four of chapter eight, I saw in my dream a dark and dreary wilderness. And he says, it came to pass, I saw a man. He was dressed in a white robe and he came and he stood before me and it came to pass that he spake unto me and bade me follow him. Right now. I haven't done an exhaustive search of everybody's ideas about what this is, but I think I think we're pretty comfortable saying this is a, a, a the Lord figure, right? This is this is the Lord trying to lead him to the tree, right? This is some. I know. What, what, what's your take on on this man and dressed in white? Yeah, well, to some degree, these it almost it often becomes impossible to tell whether this is a Lord, the Lord, or His messenger. Because they don't make distinctions, right? Well, right. Christ will the say, he who receiveth me receives my father. He who receives my messengers receives me. Uh, and that same thing, like we get this kind of confusion, even whether we have mortal or non-mortal uh, angels, right? The word in Hebrew is the same, that, yeah. which kind of tells me God doesn't care. It, it doesn't yeah. matter. An angel. He'll take whether, him on either side of the veil. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, because and that's exactly as he's looking at it. Like, just yeah, whatever, whatever room you're in at the time, right? Whatever phase you're in, it doesn't matter. Just go represent me. And so, if this is not, and we got that. I mean, we've just finished studying the Book of Revelation, right? And it, in the Book of Revelation, you have this angel who you would think is Christ, and John yeah. does think Chapter he's 19. Christ. Yeah, yeah. John does think he's Christ, and and he starts to worship him, and the angels just no, don't. I'm just I'm just like you. Don't worship Get me. Get and then he goes right back to speaking as if he's Christ, right? Yeah. So the the point is that it. I don't know that we were we need to make the distinction as much as we need to, as you said. I like the way you said it. This is a Lord figure. This is we should see this as if it is the Lord, whether it's the Lord or His messenger acting for and on His behalf. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's fun is that I would have thought, right? Oh, I'm following the Lord. That means the way is going to have everything cleared. It's going to be light and sunny. There's going to be uh, impressionist painting kind of, you know what I mean? It's going <laughs> to be cellos playing and butterflies accompanying me as I follow the Lord, right? Yeah. You know, and it is exactly the opposite experience that Lehi has, right? Uh, and he's, he's, he says, he, in verse seven, he says, as I followed him, I, I, I realized, I, I, I beheld that I was in a dark and dreary waste. And so it's super interesting because in verse eight, it says, it's not like he just noticed it and went, oh, okay, but let's go over here to the tree. This looks better over here. Yeah. Yeah. There's it, some sunlight over there. That'll be nice. Yeah. This is great. No, no. He says, no, no. I was there for the space of many hours. Yeah. Right. In darkness. And he says, 
I began to pray unto the Lord that he would have mercy on me according to the multitude of his tender mercies. And there's that language again, pulling, pulling forward Nephi's point, right? And he says, after I prayed, he now, right, exercises his faith. He now receives the power to behold that he's actually in a large and spacious field. And I think and, we often miss how crucial that element is, that prayer opening his eyes. And and I want my audience to hang on to this, because when we get to the doctrine of Christ, we're going to see this come back into play, I think. But And we're going to see how it was woven all throughout, uh, between here and there. But that idea that there's stuff, I mean, there was there to see, I would guess, because it's just suddenly he can see it. Uh, there's right. stuff all around us to see and understand and and know about where we're getting... We just need to be asking more, turning to God more. Yeah, yeah. Getting that power to be delivered from our darkness, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so I love that. I, I so agree. So I just think that's super interesting. And, and maybe in your show notes or something, you can give them a, a little um, uh, reference to the Jorgensen article. I don't think it'd be hard to find for him. It's probably at the RSC uh, just fine. But but anyway, the uh, point is that that, as Nephi is setting this whole journey up, uh, and then we see that in chapter nine, a super interesting thing happens, right? Now, I, before I do that, I do want to just pause really quickly and say, for everyone who feels like they're in darkness and they're doing everything that they know how to do, like they are praying. And they are in the temple and they are at the sacrament table and they are fasting and, you know, yeah. and, and yet they feel like the darkness persists. Yeah. I, I think that my own experience, whatever it's worth, you know, some decades here in mortality along with the rest of you, my own experience has been uh, enlightened by a young man that I visited with in my office who had been featured in a general conference uh, addressed by Elder Holland. And he and his mother in their journey of dealing with some, some real mortal challenges and trials. And one thing he told me, he says, brother, I already said, I've found that the Lord is still talking to me, even though he isn't answering this question. Mm. And uh, in his case, his question had to do with his mortal fallen frailties. And, and for whatever reason, the Lord was not changing that, healing that, whatever. He was, but he, he the, to this young man's credit, he said, so I realized that like Paul, who had the thorn in the flesh and said, I besought the Lord three times and he wouldn't take it. You know what I mean? He just, he said, I realized though, but he was still talking to me. That's good. He's still talking. There's still, it might not be the light on the thing I want light on, but there's still light and he's still talking. And that's, so I would say really to all of us, right. And those that we minister to uh, help them see that there is light. It may not be the light we're looking for. It may not be shining on the thing we want, but it is shining a path forward. And uh, I just offer that because I, I know personally and I know family and friends who feel like that. And I think that's yeah. pretty common, probably. Right. Uh, we've certainly experienced that in, in my family where there's, you know, we, we President Nelson told us pray for and expect miracles. And there were some miracles that, that we still feel we need um, and just been praying and praying and praying. And we're not seeing that miracle and we're not seeing exactly what the path forward is on that. But if we'll stop and look at it, no, there have been a lot of miracles along the way. And sometimes we don't notice them because we're only looking for that one. 
but there are little miracles all along the way. And sometimes not the big light that shows us all the way to get to the tree. Sometimes it's just the, the next step forward. Um, right. the, the candle of the Lord, kind of an idea, right? That uh, it, it just is going to show you a, a, enough to move another step, uh, yeah. and, uh, maybe answer, uh, a, a question that you hadn't, isn't the question you were asking, but <laughs> it, it, it answers a question nonetheless. Yeah. And it's, it's evidence. Those things are evidence of his hand and evidence of his love and in fact, I would offer that in the lost and fallen state that we're all in, the Lord has the perfect calculus for the alchemy that has to happen, right? The alchemy is that we take this fallen, lost material of our mortal lives and our, as yet, probably somewhat immature pre-mortal spirit, still fought down for Christ, but we still haven't grown at all to the stature that we could. And he's going to take those kind of raw and almost pitiful materials, and in his alchemy— He's going to change us and refine us into gods, into yeah. ridiculously beautiful divine beings one day. And so in that, in that calculus that he knows, in that perfect recipe, there's going to be a mix of things that he cannot change. You know, he could, but he refuses because it would mess up with the recipe. It would, it would ruin the alchemy. Mm. And then there's the things that he's like, yeah, and we can change. We've got to change this. And with your agency, we can work together to get that changed and transformed in Christ, right? But there are some things that just simply could not yeah. or else we could not become. And that's powerful. I mean, I think, uh, again, if you're like you said, I love how you, you explained it so beautifully. But uh, if if we're going to take the, the us and make it the that that we're becoming, the, the Christ like the him, right? That's got to be quite a process, right? And and some of it's going to have to be painful because I mean that's uh, it's really got to be quite a process. I've often wondered: is it painful for the caterpillar as it becomes the butterfly? My guess is, yeah, but yeah. I don't know. But uh, we haven't asked them. But um, but <laughs> I, I was going to add in, even as you were talking and and what we were talking about um, just a second ago, I, I think sometimes I always remember um, the conversations I've had with and reading the book by uh, Emily Adams about divine quietness, where. Uh, some of the great growth she has had in coming to understand who God really is, is because there was no answer from God and and nothing. And that actually was the element that provided the growth for her to understand him better. Right. And uh, and sometimes it's going to be that way. Maybe for a while we don't see even any miracles or anything because that's the condition. That's the element in the recipe that you're talking about, that it, it may be a bitter element of that recipe. But in the end, it, it makes the recipe work, right? Uh, and sometimes the growth is only going to come because there's nothing right now. And that's hard, but wow. it's still necessary. And I hope we take comfort in seeing that even in a figurative way, Lehi is going through that. Yeah. And Nephi. Well, and he goes through it literally way. as well. I mean, like he has. He, he does. Very dark and dreary wildernesses, literally. Right. And, and, and in terms of emotionally with his family and everything else, right? He's. Right. Lehi goes through some pretty dark and dreary wildernesses. Yeah. And, and he was, he was a lovely, righteous person. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, so it's, it's not about that. It's not. So, so again, trying to understand this kind of hard saying all are fallen, all are lost, is to recognize, yeah, watch ne watch Lehi go through it. Watch Nephi go through it. Watch all these amazing people, Sarai, right? 
this wonderful mom and she's you know chapter five the conversation they have she's she thinks her husband's killed her kids and you know it's like oh uh, yeah. you know? and and so the journey she goes on all of this there's just so many sweet instances here right out the gate in the book of mormon that should be comforting should be comforting to us who are feeling like is this happening to me because i've been bad is this happening to me because i'm I'm, God doesn't love me and God hates me, or I've done, I've done the recipe wrong on my side or something like this and realize, no, no, no. The Book of Mormon is a fabulous account of how wonderful people that we admire and would love to be as great as they are in our minds. And they're going through the dark and dreary waste on purpose. And God is leading them, not just allowing it. He's leading them into it and then working with them through it. And so I just hope that's coming through for everyone uh, in their own ways. Um, so so kind of interesting. We move to chapter uh, nine real quick. A, a really fun little kind of prophetic thing, right? Yeah. Nephi is supposed to make two sets of plates, right? And for Nephi, he doesn't understand why. Yeah. He tells us right in chapter nine, he says, you know, in, uh, in verse five, uh, he commanded me for a wise purpose, which I know not. And then he says, but God knows everything, so I, I'm going to trust him, and so I'm doing it. But it must have come at great cost to, to Nephi to do it. But anyway, he does it. But, of course, we happen to know something fun about that, and that is Joseph and Martin, in their weakness, in their, their strugglings, 2,500-ish years later, they're, they're going to you know, make some judgment calls that aren't perfect, and right? And we're going to lose 116 pages. We're going to lose the book of Lehi, right? And Nephi is being told by the Lord. So what I love about that real quick, not to delay to get to the rest of chapter 10 for a second, but it is just to say in instance after instance after instance, we see the grace of God knowing about our weakness, knowing our lost and fallen state, knowing about people that we're connected to even maybe millennia later, and crafting things in such a way that the best outcomes are all still possible. Uh, that's wonderful. And I love how you've, you've brought First Nephi 9, which is, is a kind of an interlude, but yeah. it, it still conveys that theme, right? I don't know about you. Uh, I, my guess is most people have had something like this happen, where you've worked hard on writing something, whether it's a letter to someone, even a text or something, you work really hard on writing, and then you lose it. And it is so hard to make yourself do it again. To recreate right? and, it. And, and it's never as good the second time because I just don't have the energy and I just don't care. And I, I had the, I had the magic yeah. in the moment. Yeah. yeah. And here's Nephi who has already written what he thought was his record of this time. And this now he's opus. not going to lose it. Someone else is going to lose it. And he doesn't even know that. But he, because they're going to lose it, he has to go through it again and make a greater magnum opus, right? He's going to make something. Somehow he is so obedient and the spirit comes upon him so much that what he's making is even better than what he, well, I don't, I haven't read the other, but I, it seems to me <laughs> like it has to, this has to be better. But, um, and Nephi is willing to pay that price because God asked him to. Yeah. That's the compensatory power that is available to us as right. we humble humble ourselves to follow his directions, right? Even in the dark, especially in the dark, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and to do it and realize, okay, it's going to work. It is, it is going to work. And and maybe a real quick personal note I on that. 
Uh, years ago, President Benson made this great statement. Uh, he said, nothing's going to startle us more than when the veil is parted and we are we see our father's face. He says, well, nothing's going to startle us more with how familiar we are with him, mm. how much he is our dad, right? Yeah. And, and he said, then the second thing he said was super cool because he said, he says, then we will know that the Lord has not left one thing undone not one thing undone. And uh, I I have heard his voice to me saying a very similar message. Don't worry, Phil. I, I know how to do this. This is what I do. I have not left one thing undone. You may feel like in this darkness, in this wilderness, in this waste, in this fallen and lost thing that there's no hope. But he, he's, he's told me, he's told all of us in our ways, and he's telling his prophets to record it in scripture, ancient and modern, that there is not one thing he has left undone. Mm. Yeah, that's that's powerful. It, and there's our faith, right? I mean, we don't know that, right? But we we have to trust, like Nephi, and say, "Oh, my heart was softened. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna accept that. I'm gonna believe that." Laman and Lemuel, for whatever reason, decided, yeah, even though they'd seen pretty remarkable things, decided that I'm not going to believe that. I I don't I don't want that. I, I won't let those things soften me or whatever. And so that's frustrating. And I, I can't wait to know more about our our dear brothers, Laman and Lemuel, what complications were going on for them. Etc. And and the hope in the post mortality, if not before they died, that, that they, had, they had regained a measure. I don't know. We'll see. But but as we maybe work to conclude uh, for a moment uh, in chapter ten, this now brings us back to that verse and and where he says in verse six, all mankind. There's no there's no exception here. It's not like the family down the street doesn't have this. It's not like our best friend isn't going through this. It's not like Jesus didn't go through this right? It's, it's all mankind, right? Are in a lost and a fallen state and never would be, save they rely on their redeemer. And for the savior himself, he had to rely on his father, just yeah. right. Savior is the proxy for us. He's our mediator with the father. So it's the same, same journey for him as it was for us in, in that, in yeah, that the, regard. The power that he has was given to him of his father. So that's right. It's, that is the power, right? And so, so I thought it might be helpful for a minute to take a, a look at what actually happens in this fall. And I hope give some, some doctrinal maybe understanding for why we do and shouldn't worry about the word struggle, or we shouldn't run away too quickly from the word broken, or we shouldn't too quickly dismiss or attached to um, the idea that that we need help as it's some kind of personal identity, right? And that's different than anybody else's identity. So to that end, I thought it might be helpful to bring in several statements of the prophets, um, right? So as we do so, I want to pose several questions, okay? And then read. Then I'll read some of these statements of the prophets and interact with you as 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 a, maybe a means to the spirit teaching, but. Let's ask ourselves the question, fundamentally, is there anything wrong with us that needs to be fixed? These are rhetorical, so I'm just going to throw them out there. What's the doctrine of Christ on our mortal state? And what does it look like to acknowledge that we are all fallen mortals here, but not to let that determine our destiny? Hmm. 
Final question. How do we better see this experience in mortality as like Brother Brad Wilcox has suggested, learning heaven and thereby avoiding feeling or causing feelings of criminality simply for being incomplete and unfinished? With those questions in mind, do you want, and don't worry if you want to respond to any of those. No, 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 let's, let's go where you're going. So to that thought, consider, here's President Eyring. I wish to bear witness of God's power of deliverance. At some point in our lives, we will all need that power. Every person living is in the midst of a test. Two things will be the same for all of us. They are part of the design for mortal life. First, the tests at times will stretch us enough for us to feel the need for help beyond our own. Mm. Amen. And second, God in his kindness and wisdom has made the power of deliverance available to all of us. Now, that was his Power of Deliverance talk as a devotional in 2008 in January um, to BYU. And I just love that. Truth, no matter what our specific and particularities of mortality are, two things will be the same for all of us. Right? So with that in mind, consider this. Um, Elder D. Todd Christofferson has said, we all, he's quoting somebody else. Uh, I think it's just a saying he's quoting, but he says, all of us have a horse to tame. Hmm. All of us have a horse to tame. Now, I think the wording of Nephi, now there's more, so, but, but I just want to kind of reconnect with Nephi. Look, the wording of Nephi, lost, like you said, like on the way to destruction and, you know what I mean? Ir irretrievably, yeah. right? And fallen. Okay, there's a way to read that that's just... You know, but there's also a, read, a way to read it this, that, that he's contextualized, which is, yeah, we're all in darkness. We're all incomplete. We're all in process. We're all in progress, right? At least the opportunity for it. So I thought it might be useful to um, think about this in terms of the, uh, uh, what do you do when you grapple with, with your own weakness? So I'm going to read. Elder Holland for a moment from his Christ in the New Covenant. He says, many things happened in the process of the fall, including changes that came to the physical bodies of Adam and Eve. For one thing, they fell into nature. Part of the natural world Adam and Eve entered included the addition to their bodies of blood, a corruptible ingredient in what had been to that point an uncorrupted body of bloodless flesh and bone. But even more important than such physical changes were the temptations of and the threats to the spirit. We must note that all these references to natural evil emphatically do not mean that men and women are inherently evil. This is a crucial difference. As spiritual sons and daughters of God, all mortal men and women are divine in origin, and divine in their potential destiny. As section 93, verse 38 through 39 teaches, the spirit of every man, woman, and child was innocent in the beginning. But it is also true that as a result of the fall, they are now in a natural fallen world, where the devil taketh away light, 
and where some elements of nature, including temporal human nature, need discipline, restraint, and refinement. Okay, so now that again, we this 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 would be hours of like prophetic statements that we could bring in. And I thought those representative ones would say like, okay, so at the moment, what do you, what's on your mind? What's per, what's percolating? What's connecting in your mind, Carrie? Well, uh, I'm I'm interested in hearing what you have to say about it as well. But I'm 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 sitting here thinking, and I'm struck by uh, some of what uh, now President Holland um, was saying. That uh, I mean, we are split uh, beings. We really are riven. We could call us. Uh, uh, yeah. There's a spirit that is who we are at our very core. That is inherently divine. It is inherently godly now, not as and not Christ-like or God-like yet, but it's godly, right? It is the, uh, a child of, of heavenly parents. It is inherently divine, but at the same time, that spirit is inhabiting a fallen body that is inherently problematic, right? We have too much adrenaline comes, and then we want to do bad, angry things. Um, too much testosterone comes, and we want to do other kind of bad, angry things or whatever else, right? Uh, and uh, uh, or we uh, not enough uh, serotonin or estrogen or whatever else is coming. And then we're in a different place, right? Uh, they, yeah. These bodies are inherently flawed and thus inherently uh, carnal, sensual, and devilish. And so the, the core of who we are is inherently divine. But there's an element of who we are that's inherently carnal, sensual, and devilish and wants to follow the natural man or Satan or the world or however we want to put it. And that's the horse to tame, as it were, right? Our, yes. uh, we could go with that whole Native American thing, right? Which wolf are you going to feed? But uh, that's right. the job is to let our divine selves shine through. That's that's something President uh, Hinckley once said, let your divine uh, nature shine through, right, in all that you do. Uh, we have to uh, let that, that, well, submit the will of the flesh to the will yes. of the, the spirit or the father is another way that we'll encounter this in the book of mormon um we yes. have to tame that that flesh uh or the way president or king president benjamin king benjamin um puts <laughs> it is uh you know we have to to let that natural man yield to the enticings of the holy spirit which is working with that divine nature in us and uh so we shouldn't feel terrible when we're working to tame the horse right if if you're yeah. taming a horse and it bucks on you, uh, that's not anything to be embarrassed about. That's what horses do, right? Yeah, and, that's uh, right. That's, uh, and so you don't feel bad about it. The question is, and if it throws you, that's what horses do, right? The best rodeo riders get thrown, right? That's it. That's how it ends up. Uh, the question yeah. is, do you get back on and work on taming that horse again? That's right. We might say, as as a, a sports uh, personality once said, all failure is feedback, right? Yeah, it's just feedback. So as we get this feedback, and and in this lost and fallen state, and as we're we're working on that refinement and all that, then, then it's just feedback. But but so I want to what I want to do as we conclude is to to bring us back to the dream for a second and the metaphor of the straight and narrow path, right, that leads to the tree. And it's corresponding metaphors of the forbidden paths and the strange roads, right? Mm. So that so you've got the middle path is this. So in other words, 
maybe we could just put it like this. How do we respond to the reality that we are these split riven individuals on purpose, right? This is not an accident. This is, this is the plan. We yeah. have to team, we have to make, you know, we have to make order out of chaos, right? And the chaos of our, of our, uh, you know, natural state isn't necessarily because it's evil inherently. It's because it's untrained. It's not as yet made into order. It's chaotic and therefore yeah. dangerous, right? Yeah. So yeah, you're not going to become a cowboy if you don't learn how to tame that horse and you're going to get right. plucked while you do it. That's right. And then no, the rodeo is no fun and you're going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so knowing that, how do we respond to our lost and fallen state? And how do we respond when our family and friends going through their lost and fallen state? Well, I'm going to suggest there's three main ways we do it within Alma or Nephi or Lehi's dream. One is a covenant way to, to uh, approach it, right? And that that's the covenant approach, which is, oh, through the covenants, right, that I make with God, uh, in my discipleship, I, I will have faith in Jesus Christ. I will repent of those things that need repenting of. And some of those things are active sins, yes, but they're also not the same thing as weakness. And I'm going to explore that in just a quick second. And that the idea is I'm going to repent of my sins, but I'm also going to Repent may not be the right word, but I'm going to engage in the process by which my weakness becomes a strength, mm. right? Which I also would term as a repentance. But because repentance is so laden at times and it's so heavily baggaged, uh, it's, that that might get misunderstood. So I'm, I want to I want to leave repentance for sin for the moment, and the process of turning weakness into strength as a different thing. Though I think repentance is overarching both. Okay, if I may. Having said that. There's a covenant approach, and that's what Nephi and Lehi and Sarai and all of them have been doing up to this point. And then there's the celebration approach on one side, and there's a shame approach mm. on the other side. Now, if I take the celebration approach, then I kind of have a mindset that it's just whatever. And you just, you know, you do you, I'll do me. There's no such thing as sin. This is just who I am, what I am. This is who you are, whatever. And, and there's just essentially what I've done is doctrinally what I've done in that moment is I have said, there's no fall. You're not fallen. You're not lost. You don't need a savior. And I've essentially undone the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now on the other side, so there's the covenant in the middle on the other side of the path, Satan doesn't really care which side of the path we get off. You know, it doesn't really matter to yeah. him if we're celebratory about this, you know, whatever it is about this. Or he doesn't care for on the other side. The other side would be a shame approach, if you will, which deals in a lot of ways with scrupulosity, where everything's a sin and all of me is bad. It's that train, how to train your dragon moment. Yeah, you just pointed to all of me. Yes, that's right. All of you is bad and terrible. <laughs> There's nothing redeemable. And, and what has happened again? What has happened again? I don't, I can't get to Christ. His atonement may have happened and it may be efficacious for somebody else, but it's not for me. Or it's not for this person. Their, their thing is of such special stature. Their particular issue, their particular instantiation of the fall is of such a, a, a depth or breadth that it's outside of Jesus's atonement. It's outside of his ability to save. It's outside of their ability to uh, connect to him with covenants and successfully navigate it in such a way that they become like God, right? Mm -hmm. So if if I can just recap, and this is, these are just kind of thoughts together. 
we got a covenant approach to Nephi 10 verse 6, right? First Nephi 10 verse 6. The covenant approach is I will have faith in Jesus Christ. I will repent. I will engage in the gospel covenant ordinances, and he will help me turn my weakness into strength. I am using the Savior's atonement and his offer. I'm engaging with him. I'm binding myself to him. He and I together are yoked, and that makes my burden easy and light. Or I take a side path, right? Which is that I don't take the Savior seriously. I don't take the fact that he needed to die. And even when he pleaded with his father, if there was some other way, that no, his father said he still had to, as that's not really that important. I reduce all that gravitas, all that significance. I take out the infinite and eternal nature of it. And I say that, no, what I do and what other people do has no bearing or matter. And I have undone the fall and therefore undone the atonement of Jesus Christ. Or I have fallen for a separate but equally damning lie and fallacy of the, atone, or the, of the adversary. And that is that there is nothing redeeming about me there is nothing that is good or lovely or uh, a possible nice report, et cetera. There's nothing that can be done. And I am outside of the pale, outside of the, the light of Christ where it cannot shine and his power cannot bless me. And I wish to just share whatever it's worth as a fellow disciple to any and all who listen, that um, those are both lies. They're both damnable lies by our adversary who, I don't know why he hates us. I don't. I don't understand why he does, but he does. And our Savior loves us, and he's offered us a covenant path through all of his darkness, through the mist, through the dark and dreary ways, and he's leading us through it. If we will be led, he will save us if we will be saved. And uh, I am so thankful and bear my personal witness that he is the Christ, and that our adversary is real too, and he is selling lies of celebration or shame, and many other lies too we didn't enumerate here, but but I hope that our discussion is useful, and I bear my witness to that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, just amen, amen. Thank you, Phil. Powerful. Uh, and, and I've been touched, edified, and invigorated, and given hope by this discussion, and I can't imagine that uh, my audience hasn't also, and we hope they'll share that hope with everyone else and and look forward to um, just uh, helping other people by giving them these ideas, either by paraphrasing them and teach them themselves or by referring them to the podcast or sharing it on Facebook or whatever. And we also hope you'll do the downloads and the likes and the rates and reviews and, and so on, sharing and subscribing. Um, and we'll encourage you to come back next week. Uh, I mean, we're going to really get into the, the vision. Uh, we've got First Nephi 11 through 15 next week. Um, uh, my friend Anita Kramer uh, is going to be on. And uh, I think I'm also going to spend some time with uh, Lamar. And then uh, our colleague Byron Korth is going to come on and share a very specific aspect of uh, that vision and how it uh, applies to families and situations that I find everyone in the world uh, is struggling with right now. One of the most burning and uh, frequently repeated questions I'm getting from anyone. And uh, Byron has some great things to say about that. So we'll encourage everyone to, to come back next week. Uh, in the meantime, thank you, Phil. Uh, you've made this real for me and powerful for me. And I hope for uh, everyone, well, I'm sure for everyone else as well. So thank you. My honor, always so grateful. Appreciate all the great things you're doing.